Redistribution Party. My name is Jack Evans. And I, friends, am Sean Morley. This episode, we asked for listener questions. That, that's you. And we got them. And now we're going to uh, answer them. And if you want the opportunity to ask us questions we can answer without broadcasting them, you can always join our Patreon on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party. Admin done. Questions incoming. Uh, Tom Moorcroft asks, what are the political leanings of the following condiments? Uh, tomato sauce, brown sauce, Tabasco mustard, uh, barbecue sauce. I guess we should take these in turn. Oh, I was thinking that we need to decide the polls, right? We need to ex- decide the extreme left and right. Like the X, Y, the political compass, and then plot them. Yeah. Well, I feel like once you know the polls, then the gran- the granular positions between those reveal themselves. Yeah, I want to come out and say mustard is, is Tory. I'd go as far as to say mustard is Nazi. I wouldn't do that, but it's because that we're thinking along the same lines. <laughs> the, all I know about mustard, other than that it's delicious, that it's like, is it Roman? Is I think it? mustard's Roman. And who loves Romans? Online oh, yeah, Nazis. Nazis. And, yeah, well, and, and the real Nazis, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also weren't the original fascists, like yeah, not Romans, yeah, yeah. but like, yeah, Rome, Mussolini. Rome. Yeah, 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 for sure. So mustard, <laughs> at least right wing. That's the only one I feel a strong leniency. So what's the most left wing? Well, ketchup is uh, originally from like China and Vietnam, so maybe it's like authoritarian socialist. I don't know. Okay, so you're going like full. <laughs> you need to you need to track the ingredients through time to understand what the dialectical relationship. I mean, it doesn't even matter. Of a tomato, I'm pure talking shit. You know, I ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer on Warcraft. So I don't even know. You know, like I'm spinning on like vague ketchup knowledge. And also, well, whenever you know, ketchup came I, from, when the British Empire took ketchup from fucking China or Vietnam, wherever they took it from, it wasn't communist. So actually, I don't even know. I'm playing such a different game in my head to yeah. you. Your, your game is impossible. Your game is like 10-sided chess. Yeah. I'm playing like a, a, a veil of ignorance game where I've got to <laughs> guess someone's income based solely on what's in their bacon sandwich. And I'm just letting all my prejudices flow out. Okay. Uh, whereas so I'm it mustard, I'm like, this is high end. Right, this, so you're trying to associate it with the individual who would prioritize that condiment. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go let's go for the most baseline food that you would combine with it could combine plausibly with all these condiments, which is chips. Okay, yeah. I was thinking like a, a meat a breakfast meat sarnie. I think that closes too many doors. Doesn't have to be bacon butter. You can have a corn sausage sarnie. Just some soy paste. No, you wouldn't no, put the condiment on that. Okay, well, let's go for the principle. There's a food yeah, and it has a food. condiment on it. And you're, what you're doing is, instead of going on my completely bizarre, where the hell is this from? Not even checking <laughs> it, just going, what do you th- where do you think yeah. it's from? I'm where really sorry if I've been wrong Yeah, so do you know far. that brown sauce actually comes from Indonesia? I, uh, <laughs> I actually, uh, <laughs> brown sauce is from Nottingham. <laughs> So I was going to say that it's a scab sauce. Right, okay. I realise now that maybe your system is more sophisticated. So my instincts are all just like, where's the thing from? What do I associate with that? Rather than who would eat it? So I'm going, ketchup is from Southeast Asia. What's going on there? Brown sauce is from Nottingham, scab central. Mustard, I think is Roman, but don't know it's Roman. Barbecue sauce makes me think of like 1800s America, maybe like John Brown, the like armed abolitionist guy. 
Okay, and so what's your ordering then, based on that insane etymological? Well, it doesn't have argument? any order in it. Just has like if you asked me about the specific source, I could give you the basics, <laughs> but I wouldn't okay. be able to map them. I'm picturing it. I'm picturing just a person. Yeah, and I know they've got sauce on their meal, uh-huh. and so. I've got to guess their income, right? And it's like a price is right. I've got to guess who's got a higher or lower income. And all I know is the source. Well, let's make it and quick so- fire. Let's make it quick fire. Okay, I'm going to come at you. Imagine the person that is having... I can't. Ketchup. They're having ketchup. <laughs> wow, the thing is, ketchup is the- ketchup spans the classes. Yeah, I agree. Ketchup's... Except I don't think the Queen would ever have ketchup. I think it stops at the aristocracy. But I think... Well, no, it, listen, mate, it was taken from Empire. Ketchup. It was taken from Empire. The aristocracy are definitely having ketchup. They literally originally took it. Oh, yeah. And of course, the Queen has coronation sauce which is like if you it's the same kind of imagination that could bring about ketchup but it's taken to a ludicrous degree because they know what the queen is like well actually brown sauce and barbecue sauce are also just modded ketchup it spans everything but i think ketchup is so ubiquitous that it's it will be the most uh are you saying because there are numerically more working class people in the world and because ketchup is kind of consumed by almost everyone, then by nature, more working class people consume ketchup and therefore it's proletarian. I guess that's what I'm saying. Because I think stuff like Tabasco and barbecue sauce, they're like aspirational middle class sauces. <laughs> Are they? What? Yeah. 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 All don't you right, think so? Yeah. Mm, well, do you know, I don't know how much we got ketchup. ketchup. I feel like we you stumbled at the on... first question here and we're going to be well, here I haven't for like stumbled at all. I'm actually, here, I'm here outlaying a theory. All right. You, but you get into barbecue sauce as a reaction to <laughs> get, to growing up on tomato sauce. Okay. And, and that's because you think you're better, right? And I think it is... <laughs> this is like, um, this is like a John Harris level analysis. <laughs> I think brown sauce is different. Brown yeah. sauce is because right. you've settled, you know? Okay, you wanted to deviate from the ketchup, which was the baseline, but you didn't get as far as barbecue or Tabasco. Brown sauce feels like it is tomato sauce that's been pickled. So it's sort of an older... <laughs> it's just tomato it's like sauce a... with more spices. Exactly. Right. So it's it's just more tomato sauce, right? It's just yeah. it's just more astringent. Well, right? so you barbecue sauce. It tastes more like vinegar. No, it's not. Barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce. Barbecue is, sauce is ketchup is actually... with even more sugar in it. Exactly. So it's for babies. Babies who want to... Nothing. Oh, as, as, no, I'd say aspirational. A ba- low class. baby is aspirational <laughs> lower middle class. Yeah, babies aspire all the time. Well, babies baby, yeah. achieve more than you. If you track a baby between this year and two years' time, it's going to have done more than we're going to have done in two years' time. A baby knows. Well, it might not intellectually know, but it knows it's going to get bigger, and it conceives of the future more than the past. Babies have no idea what tradition means. <laughs> Fucking everything's hell. new. <laughs> I don't so know. i'm going here hang on i've got it wow really fascinated to uh, find out how long this ends up in the edit okay we've been going a while friends brown sauce lump and prol or something equivalent so i'm going <laughs> brown sauce. so you say brown sauce lump and prol i say brown sauce scab yes so close enough <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean there, there are multiple methods okay. to the same answer yeah 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 ketchup it most left right then tabasco okay then barbecue, then brown, then mustard. And this is specifically in a UK context. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah, if, otherwise... you to, if you were to ask me this question in French or Spanish, uh-huh. I'd give you a whole different set of answers because yeah, yeah, I won't yeah, yeah. have fully understood the question. And we haven't got time. So Tom Moorcroft, thank you for your question. I hope it's enlightened you. I hope it's enlightened the other listeners who, you know, if you've asked the question, there must be other people thinking it. Moving on, we've got Jose Murgatroyd Cree 
who was asked who will be the first against the wall when the revolution comes. Well, it's going to be a big wall. No queuing at the wall. <laughs> i tell you who will be first against the wall. <laughs> yeah? Straight on the wall. I don't know what the wall's for, MI5, if you're listening, um, but... You know, if people want to lean against the wall, get comfy, little rest. Yeah, yeah. Eat. The wall's tell fucking you what, though, huge. I was going to say that we put some great stuff on the wall, but it's very, very small. So you need to go in right close. And take <laughs> <it back. laughs> Can you just look at this tiny size six font? Yeah, it says something very important. Yeah, just a full eye tests all the way across. <laughs> the optician's wall, we'll call it. Well, actually, don't call, for an eye test. don't call it that. Don't call it that. It's got some fucking bad Pol Pot vibes. Has it? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me just say, we're not a pro Pol Pot pod. Pol not. There we go. Owned. <laughs> Keep it all back in. Edit it back in. Isn't Pol, Pol Pot isn't his name, is it? You Google him, Pol Pot's real name. Just stick to the question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Pol Pot's the guy's title. <laughs> Maggie sent people to train Pol Pot's guys, the Khmer Rouge. I'm sure she did. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's I carry on. That. We're getting bogged down in that. I feel like that. So bogged. I d- it definitely answered the question. Denzel Dean asks, what are your, what is that word? Enneagram? Enneagram, Enneagram numbers? I have no fucking clue what this is. Strap in for my wild I... guess at what this is. Is it some like Jungian archetype thing? Like fucking mm-hmm. astrology for people who read Christopher Hitchens? You know how Myers-Briggs tries to pinpoint something and astrology just speaks to like a, a mood. It's somewhere between the two. I hate that I'm shit. four, by the way. Four, dominant four. What does that mean? Uh, I'm an individual. Uh, congratulations. Do you know, no problem. Do you know, I think, <laughs> you know how Myers-Briggs has taken over from astrology? Because Myers-Briggs, they're all like inherently quite complimentary. Whereas astrology is like, oh, you're a ram. And you go, uh, oh, great. Yeah. But Myers-Briggs are fucking cool. You're, you're an architect. In your brain, you're not made of house, but you're sort of an architect anyway. You're like, great, mm. now I can work at the big office. I hate that shit. Honestly, if you could use the like New Vegas character creator and it would be as accurate. I see it all as like tarot. You just turn over a card and you go, oh, the three of pentacles. Great. That means I'll get the blue lolly today. Thank you for helping me make that choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, if someone finds it useful, go for it. I got a feeling Denzel Dean is taking the piss. By virtue of him. Denzel asking us what are an Enneag- Enneagram? I'm four. You're four. <laughs> I don't know what I am. I never want to know what I am. Next question. Jim Yeoman, anarchist expert from early Mandos. What do you think Sir Captain Major Tom got up to in Burma during World War II? And when will he pay for his crimes? <laughs> Captain Tom, absolute fucking king of the grifters who has absolutely smashed it right now. Many of the listeners to this are having the worst fucking Christmas of their lives. This guy is probably still in Barbados, just shagging anything that moves. And what do you think he did in Burma? Same thing. Killing. Just at killing for the state, shagging. I think the reason he offered, he was so keen to offer to move up and down his garden is to keep away from the ghosts of the people whose skull he stole. Yeah. And snipers. He's worried about snipers. Yeah. Just keep That's moving. What he should be. Should have seen his pattern. <laughs> Master Shagger and Grifter Captain Tom, who raised so much money for the private companies ravaging the NHS. I hope he got a big thank you card from fucking Circo or whoever all his money went to. Does that, does that answer that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> question answered. Uh, well, and it, to your question, and when will he pay for his crimes? Please refer to our answers to the question regarding the wall. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm really <laughs> doubling down on this nice wall, benign 
brick yeah, work. Yeah, he's got to check his eyes. No, I'm sure. I mean, the guy's just a fucking old guy. It's it's bleak, isn't it? That like people think the NHS is like a charity. Some old man shouldn't be doing laps of his fucking garden. To have you seen the tribute ones who like never raise as much money because the press have lost interest because they did it with one guy yeah, and he also yeah, happened yeah. to be a veteran, so they just like got on total boner for it. And then there'll be other people who are like, oh, my wife died. If COVID-19, so now I'm walking the length of Britain to raise some money. But because they haven't, like, slaughtered some Burmese for the empire. Tom W., do you think the Northern Independence Party has the makings of a serious political entity, or are they not more than a meme-stealing, all-fart-no-poo enterprise? I'm all for an independent Northumbria, but is there an appetite for it outside of left Twitter? Mm. What does an all-fart-no-poo enterprise mean? I feel like I'm missing out. Can you out try and figure it out? Let's try and figure it out. Let's let's interrogate this content. <laughs> Are you also saying that you don't know? Oh, I, I know. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. You're going to teach me using the Socratic method. Imagine you, uh, right, so you think you need a shit and you sit down on uh-huh. the toilet and you... Oh, you, I see. Have, you, you, have I given you sufficient information to... Con- yeah, lots of noise and symptoms, but won't uh-huh. follow through with an actual act of shitting. There you go. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, well, yeah. I've, I've learned a lot. Uh, and also has implications about being full of shit, which is interesting. But then if you, if you took a shit, you'd no longer be full of shit. So maybe that doesn't work. Yeah, the problem here is that shit normally means something that you don't want, but here it just means substance and... Yeah. Some sort of political follow-through. Yeah, <laughs> political follow-through. Wrong part of the question here. We've focused in on the wrong bit, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they're big, they're big on Twitter. They got huge. I think they got over 20K followers real quick because they happened to pop up at, like, the absolute perfect time with, like, when the North was getting especially shafted and all that shit was happening where Burnham was trying to negotiate bare minimum conditions from the government and they were telling us all to fuck off. Um, I guess there's two questions in here. One is, like... Is by presenting yourself as sort of a meme entity online, can that have any outcomes at, at all? Mm. And do people care about the idea of a, a separated North nation or state or, you know, devolved? Well, listen, question, to question one, I'm pretty sure 4chan got Trump in the White House. <laughs> okay, 4chan got probably helped get Trump in the White House, but also so did like Capital and all of the machines that it controls of, uh, you know, the ideological state apparatus. A lot of that was on his side as well, so... You can separate memeing online from other activism. Every now and then, some melt comes out with this like take that they think is genius where they're like, oh my God, it would be great if some people put all the effort they put into making memes into like actually organizing. You can do both, right? And guess what? A lot of the people that are smashing out golden memes about fucking Keith or Brendan and people probably also devote a lot of their effort life to other shit as well. You can do both. You can go on your phone when you're doing other shit. That pisses me off that. Sorry, pet peeve. Yeah, pet peeve and, as, and as well as that, it's like I get the idea of if we want to make, if we want to have a political outcome, can we achieve it through memes? Trump's ascendancy was overdetermined because mm. you can point to loads of things and go, well, that did, did yeah, that yeah, cause yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like there's way more things working in that direction than there needed to be to push Trump in. But if you accept the the counter argument of you need to like you know put on a suit and tie in order for politics to happen, you've kind of it's kind of fucked in the first place then because then people who don't look right or sound right or act right can never have a voice in politics. Well, the guy's anyway. already put on and a I'm suit not and saying tie. That... Did you see the interview he did with the BBC? Hilariously, one of the key guys no. in it is um, based in London and did an interview right. with the BBC where the BBC were total fucking snotty little tools like, oh, but could the North survive without London? What, about, what resources would you have? If we'd taken all your resources, how could you possibly have any? I don't understand. But I'd quite happily just live in like a 
sort of a, a, a thatched cottage and just <laughs> tend to some cabbages, you know. Just leave us be. <laughs> yeah. They, always, I I mean, it's, they, they rolled out all the same shit they used in the Scottish indie ref um, immediately yeah, against yeah. this guy. Uh, but I think Northern Independence has a long way to go compared to something like Scottish Independence. Yeah, because they've got the identity of a whole country. Yes, but I do think Northern Identity is fairly strong and I do think it allows coalition building... Who knows? I mean, their Red Pepper... Did you read their original launch article, the Red Pepper thing? It's Northern regionalism, Northern independence, but of course it's like, it is shot through with like proper socialism. They get they get mischaracterized a lot online, I think because so much of like the online left is... Um, the prominent online left, I mean, is like London-based and they were doing some very sort of bad faith stuff towards them and sort of... Uh, you know, I, I saw someone suggest that like anti-South sentiment, which he, I don't know if he, like Northern independence doesn't necessarily equate to anti-South sentiment, but someone suggested that anti-South sentiment was like uh, coded racism because of course there's no right. people who aren't white in the fucking North of England, you morons. The one advantage they have is that Northerners do fucking hate Southerners for whatever plethora of reasons, whether it be power concentrated in Westminster, the city of London banks, or bus drivers don't say hello yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like here's the thing plausibly you could get someone who is like kind of a has like many right-wing instincts but their hatred of the south will override that <laughs> but do you actually want that person would it not be better to make that person believe different things or help that person to believe different things yeah i, I don't know i agree with the principle like power close to the people is a good thing and they also seem like good socialists uh, if you actually go and read their specific content, you know, read their Red Pepper thing and read their their case for Northern Independence on their website, I think they're interesting. But they also, you know, they've come out as specifically socialists, so they're fucked. So they're not going to get the massive boost that like Farage did or anyone like that. Because the idea of the North is just, you know, thick white racist men, right? So anything that deviates from that is not permitted or is delegitimized. So they've got an uphill battle. But what do you, what do you reckon? Reclaiming the Labour Party which even when the left ostensibly did have control of it, just completely failed <laughs> or, or success with Free North now. I'm not optimistic about either, to be honest, but what do you think, Sean? Well, at least with the Labour Party, you're trying to take over something from the outside. But with Free North now, I'm in the North right now. We could just build yeah. like a new we're, Hadrian's Wall. We're in the North and we're also socialist and this is a Northern socialist organisation, so maybe we should be in it. Well, come on the podcast. Let's talk about it. <laughs> That can be an episode in the future. And speaking of regionalism, maybe the next question actually builds on this. So um, Matthew Plater asks, as a fellow ex-Midlander, Sean, in the coming Know Your English wars, will they join the North, the South, or simply unmoor themselves from a time until a Guardian or Observer journalist finally arrives to decide their fate? That's in, that's in, uh, The yeah. Know Your Englishness is fantastic. That is a good move that the Northumbrian yeah. independence thing has pulled. The, the appeal of ridding yourself of Englishness and becoming un-English through political action is so, so appealing. I'm so glad I'm Welsh. If I, yeah. I, if I, I couldn't live if I was English. I've lived, in, I've lived here for like over 10 years now and I, it, I, the concept of Englishness is just irreparably, irrecoverably fucked. Yeah, it's nice to be a tourist. Yeah. I've observed your problems and now I'm going back to observe my own Welsh problems. <laughs> and a lot of the problems of the Welsh um, are the english exactly yeah you can't really get away mm. so why not just go to one of the other countries in the world that has been unaffected by england <laughs> <laughs> well the thing about the midlands right so we're talking about like 
there is a, a strong sense of null identity and it comes from like nothing it comes from not wearing a coat or having a different kind of Worcester sauce. Midlandsness mm. doesn't feel as distinctive. And I grew up in Birmingham, which is just, it's two things, I think, most prominently. It is a massive immigrant city. Yes. So, and those those areas, like it's a revolving door. So like mm. the Irish mm. came in and they live in this district, but mm. then they kind of moved up one to this nicer area. And now there are South Asian people living here and they often have moved on. And now there's Eastern Europeans living in this area. So it's mm. kind of this revolving door of different communities. I think there has been some good work done organizing them all, but that is also a massive uphill battle, especially as like the local council will just, there's just a, a council flat, here just there's like high rise full of eritreans mm, here and there's mm. no support and they don't know anything about the local community mm. and how do you reach those people because they have been isolated geographically and community wise um so it's a mishmash of like northernness as much as there are like minorities here and this is diverse it's not as diverse as birmingham there isn't mm. anywhere as diverse mm. as birmingham in the entire of the north of england and that creates uh, organizational challenges but also the big organizational challenge of the city like Birmingham and I will try and cover the rest of the Midlands of which I am slightly more ignorant but Birmingham yeah. is also an insanely huge city which anywhere else in Europe would be treated like a capital city like it's bigger than Brussels I, I, I don't know what to do that's like hopeful or what to solve with that I can just identify the problems and go that's that's a doozy that's bad um, <laughs> easier to do that yeah. isn't it yeah it's much easier to do that but the Northern Independence Party have said that the uh other areas can vote to uh, join Northumbria. <laughs> oh, well, then let's just keep absorbing the Midlands. Let's just keep <laughs> absorbing the Midlands. Yeah, um, I'd be happy to have Birmingham in a, in a socialist non-England. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Maybe just do it entirely by opt-in, opt-out, and just have this Swiss cheese nation within a nation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Matthew Plater's got a second question. Also, with both in their absolute prime, Marx versus Kropotkin, who would win in a three-round trading card game. You can pick the series, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Triple Triad, Class War, anything goes. So long as you can supplement your army with barely disguised gambling systems, it's legal. <laughs> well, if it was Class War, Marx would win, but he'd do so in a way that Kropotkin predicted would eventually fail to bring about workers' liberation. So Kropotkin would have the moral victory, but Marx would win the card game. I'll go a bit differently. I'm going to pick Magic the Gathering, and I'm going to say Kropotkin. He'd yeah. be uh, an aggro tempo a red-green deck. Yeah. Um, so he'd have... And then Marx would be a black-white gimmick deck. So Marx can maybe... <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd have all his soldiers up, right? He'd have a line of human soldiers, and they would buff each other. They'd get buffs off of each other. And if you kill them, they're never quite dead, right? Because the spectre of communism will still remain. So he can lift from his graveyard, bring people back onto the field. However, Kropotkin synergies... Oh, yeah. If he can make them active, the synergies and the mutual aid between the different cards, between his, you know, his dinosaurs and his beastmen, you're not going to be able to touch that once it activates. So Marx, if he can get his gimmick up, it's incredibly powerful, but it can easily be destroyed by outside interference. So if he, can get, if he can't get an artifact up, which is going to stop magic spells damaging or giving debuffs to his human army, that can erode over time and his hit points are dead. So I say two, two times out of three, Kropotkin's going to have it. <laughs> uneditable that that's the whole thing's got to go in <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> that's the way i wanted it <laughs> i thought i got a little sneaking suspicion that's why i found it so funny what would you edit out is perfect <laughs> <laughs> liam j asks question for me 
Uh, do you believe that Welsh independence, I assume, Liam, you're asking me because you know I am a Welsh, uh, will happen within our lifetimes or is it still a long way off? And if it did occur, what would the ideal version of it be? I'm not optimistic about it, but, you know, Lenin said re revolution would never happen in his lifetime in 1916 or whatever. So you never know. Well, here's what you do, right? Independent Wales, you just ransom the English's water. We got all their water, shitloads of water, and they can only have it at 100 times the price. Or how would Wales survive without the English economy? There you go. We control the water. Fuck you. Well, Welsh independence, tricky one. Again, I think this like the sort of northern regionalism sort of could do with its own Mando's app, really. But I'm not, I'm not that optimistic about it for various reasons. I think Welshness isn't as coherent as like Scottishness. And I, I think partly simply by virtue of like Scotland got absorbed into the Union voluntarily in like the 17th century well, for formally in the 18th century. And then like Wales was conquered by force in the 13th century, which is obviously a, a lot longer ago. So Wales is much more integrated into England. Both countries are obviously uh, brutalized in many ways by the English, as well as their own ruling class. It's almost as if nationalism conceals some other stuff in it. I mean, what do you think, Sean? Do you know anything about this? Do you have any opinion? Wales? Yeah. I've heard of it. <laughs> i think one of the big things is that it's just um like north i mean listen to my accent right north wales is so integrated with the northwest just by virtue of like infrastructure like the railways and the roads it's easier to get into england than it is to the south even to places that are geographically closer that could that's a barrier to welsh independence i don't know it's very complicated and also applied is currently under the control of the the right of applied I'm not optimistic, is my, is my answer. But I think we should come back to this. Sean asks, you've got 24 hours to sabotage and undermine capitalism without just outright banning it coup style. What are you going to do in <laughs> the next 24 hours? It. Banning capitalism. I'm going to ban it. Yeah, if I see you doing any, I'm out. <laughs> um, well, that won't work. Kidnap everyone. Kidnap, kidnap everyone half, in 24 hours. So if the clock started now... Kidnap you half of the population. If the clock started and ransom now... ransom them to the other half. No, that's not going to work. Oh, you're right. So you're saying we I start would attack. It. So you're it, trying to damage capitalism. It's not going to... Uh, straight up, the answer is that won't work. But you need to hit transport infrastructure, power infrastructure, or uh, oil. And you need to blow it up. In Minecraft. You would also fuck up a lot of ordinary people because the capitalists would just pass on the problems to ordinary people. But you could fuck up a lot of capitalist infrastructure. That's like the easiest thing to do. You could just go I into the fucking hills and find a big power line and just blow it up. I don't think that would undermine capitalism. Undermine well, no, nothing would. That's country. the fucking answer, isn't it? What do you think would undermine Capitali capitalism? Like, if you if you think that a major disaster would undermine capitalism, just look at the last like year. Like, capitalism is not under threat of becoming not capitalism. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. Capitalism does. I agree That's with what that. We need to, yeah, then will you just... Okay, so I've got a clarifying question about the yeah. question. Have we got 24 hours just to pull it off, or is it just 24 hours starting now? And I've got to Yeah, that's like what I imagined. Right, is it going to be like Challenge Annika? Or just like, okay, just what do I yeah, do? Yeah, well, that's what, what I'm thinking. If I, could, if I could... Well, I, I'm just thinking that would hit, that would hit the profits. In the, short, in the short term, it would hit profit. And if we define capitalism as that, the ability to extract surplus value... You could fuck them up, but they, as I said, they'll regroup, they'll fuck over ordinary people, and they'll end up making more money out of it. But in a twenty-four hour window, it'd fuck them up. But that's what you can't. Is that kind of organising doesn't work? Kidnap half of the population. Yeah. How are you organising a kidnap in twenty-four hours? 
well, you could kidnap. Who would you kidnap? Who do you think you could kidnap? Half the population. Half if it's safe for clocks, no. <laughs> well, then you can just say, oh, just to overthrow capitalism then, if we're just saying things you could do with magic. It's not magic. Do a viral tweet in the morning and in the afternoon take over the Eurostar. Get them all in the Channel Tunnel. So the viral tweet makes them go on the Eurostar. Yeah, it's like a sting. Free Eurostar out of tier four. And then you stop the Eurostar like in the tunnel and say, you'll only get these people back if you stop doing capitalism. Yeah, and I say, sorry, this was a trick. And then I thread the original tweet with, sorry, <laughs> breaking, sorry, it's a trick. If you want them to come back, I can put this in reverse, but you have to stop capitalism now. <laughs> I'm not You've optimistic got about you being able hours. to pull this off. but I could go viral. You could go viral. Okay. It's the other steps I'm pessimistic about. I like oh, that right, that was the bit you thought was an issue, <laughs> not taking over the Eurostar. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Sean. I, I think capitalism, by virtue of it being just completely hegemonic, um, is very difficult to sabotage and undermine um, within 24 hours. I'm sorry. I apologize. Or even 48. Give, hey, tell you what. Try 50 years. before you years. come in with another question. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want variants on this with different time frames. It's going to be the same answer. Dominic McNasty asks, no. Dominic McNasty asks, which Harry Potter house do you think Jack belongs to? I reckon he's a Ravenclaw with Hufflepuff tendencies. Well, Dominic McNasty, one, you're going to make Jack angry. This seems to be the real I'm not, keyword you know, for no, no, Jack's I'm not, rage. I'm not... Um, you blindsided me the last time this happens, whereas I've just read it now, so... I'm fine. Everything's it's fine if you enjoy that shit. Do you hear like do you know he's not calm, he's doing mm. a performance of calm. Do you hear like he needs to impress upon you how calm he is? That's like really angry. <laughs> <laughs> also, Dominic Monastic, you can't mix and blend them. Ravenclaw with Hufflepuff tendencies, you can't do that. You can't do Ravenclaw with Jupiter ascending. You're just in one house or another house. But also I never really understand what the difference is between Gryffindor and Slytherin, because as far as I understand they have exactly the same virtues, but one is bad and one is good. But they are both like different variants of Ubermensch, do what you like, operate outside the the rules and restrictions and conventional morality. But one of them likes snakes and one of them likes a lion. Within that, J.K. Rowling's created our own horseshoe theory where she can't understand... The only difference between our heroes and our villains is that the story is about her heroes. That's like the only distinction between these two people and they've invented like a quasi magical racism to like cover that up but like it's very shallow what Gryffindor and Slytherin difference is so I think if JK Rowling was writing it then Jack would be in Slytherin but if I was writing him I'd put in Gryffindor because Jack's my hero oh xxx end of story thank you Sean and thank you Dominic McNasty for trying to get me uh I respect that Neil Taylor asks cheeky cheeky neil's asked a bunch of questions um question one it's always been cheeky are either of you now prepared if given the chance to push boris from a ski lift now my objection to this when it was originally raised was that it would not achieve anything for working class struggle however maybe it would feel good how about you sean <laughs> okay let's put it this way right if it was the trolley problem hmm. and a train was going to run over five people mm. and a train was going to run over one person. And by pushing Boris in the way of it, I could divert it so it would move onto the track and kill fewer people. Would I kill him then? 
I'd ha- I'd ha- I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't I have to? Boris himself would probably want to go off. He'd probably, right? he'd probably do probably, that. Yeah, he'd, he'd probably say, please chin. push me. He'd yeah. say, please push me because I'm willing to make a personal sacrifice for the country. And I'd say, well, I, as another moral <laughs> agent, have no choice but to The ski to lift problem. You. Yeah, and on the way down as he's fallen, I'd be like, there's no people on this track. <laughs> I can't, when anyone says a trolley problem, I can't, I'm thinking of a supermarket trolley. And the problem with supermarket trolleys is not that there's people lying that could be killed or not. It's that the wheels are fucked. So, wheels are so gone, actually, yeah. even if you were, even if you were like, oh, I choose to save these people, a supermarket trolley yeah. is going, oh, fucking mind of its own. Um, it's more like rather than a lever, you just roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the RNG on supermarket trolleys. Yeah. Um, what if you are, get an odd number, you kill five people. Um, I think I could take over as a union rep in my workplace. Should I? And how do I learn to do it properly? Um, right. Well, so there's various organizations that deliver training to union reps, including probably, I don't know what your workplace is, but probably your union itself will have specific rep training. There's different kinds of training. There's going to be training on like legal shit. So a lot of being a rep is knowing the stuff HR know, which is, I'll tell you this now as a rep, fucking boring. I, as rep for my workplace, which is an educational institution, have been through like all the different risk, you know, every time the government's changed some bullshit, we've had to go through the risk assessment again. But you can make a difference and there will be people who appreciate what you do. And you can also try to get someone else to do it as well. It's always better when there's more than one rep uh, for various reasons. Learning to do it, various resources. The union will have its own resources. There's other organizations that provide resources too. We will probably do an episode. I, I think that's a good episode premise of like something about union organizing and just like strats. Um, that are maybe outside also the things that you would get taught by fucking GMB or someone. Uh, T. Morris asks, thanks for a great year of perfect podcast. Oh, thank you, T. Morris. Morris. As a veteran of the Iraq war, A to B marches. Okay, good. Glad I read on. I encountered and became involved with a horrible amount of political sects, pressure groups, and the Lib Dems. What groups have you been involved with or encountered on your political journey? Do you know, I've been relatively under-affiliated because... Due to, I guess, being a comedian, yeah. I've just come in and done like fundraisers or worked with people mm. on a project. Yes. But I've never same. like signed up and worked with them over a long time. I've come in, got excited about a particular organization for a, a fixed amount of time, and then just got did it again with another one later. Mm. And that's actually been way more beneficial because eventually everything takes a turn that you find either incredibly tedious and a waste of time. And you're like, ah, I'm not actually signed up to you guys. I'm just more of a friend. Yeah. I did once, um, did a gig that was for CND. Yeah. And it was one of the heads of CND was there, one of the heads of a regional CND chapter. And I decided to, it it was, I was emceeing a punk gig. (laughs) So every band on was punk. But I dressed up as um, a G4S security guard, refused to acknowledge <laughs> that I was a comedian, and I kept trying to like stop the band coming to the stage. I might need to see their passes and stuff. <laughs> and I was just constantly like just giving out security announcements. And a lot of these people, and they're all like, you know, yeah. they're like CND punk crowd. They're like, who's this guy? <laughs> who's let this guy in? <laughs> they put you as a comedian, but they got a troll. Mm, I had a lot of fun at that gig. Yeah, I felt like that was the punk thing to do. I don't know yet if that was. <laughs> um, join Acorn. That's what I'm going to use that question to say. Mr. Trousers, do either of you think you've ever said anything on the pod or tweeted anything that might have put you on a government watch list? And if not, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> Go on, say something now. 
I so let's be covered. Well, we'll t- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll, we tend to edit out anything. We've definitely said some in re- some stuff in recordings that's uh, not gone out out of um, fear, good taste. Fear, yeah, yeah, fear. Do you feel in any way that your ego would? It would be nice to be on a watch list for someone somewhere. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Oh, to like at once to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Edinburgh Fringe CIA wants to watch list. <laughs> yeah, the CIA decide who's going to be on the watch list before they've actually done anything. Yeah, well, the CIA decide who's going to win the Edinburgh Comedy Award. Yeah. <laughs> well, the CIA picked Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> scans it makes sense you think jordan brooks is gonna bring down the government no way jose (laughs) (laughs) don't underestimate that guy um yeah fair enough okay so actually mr charles says provokes us and says go on say something now so we should probably respond so i what yeah here's one for you i think we should immediately all meet up and then up against a wall okay but do you think that history is going to really look kindly upon yeah, history's got a lot of... Ed Bevan asks, what podcasts do you enjoy? I can't consume the fuckers. I can edit them. I enjoy that. But I can't multitask. So I would just sum it with the way my brain works. Really struggle with it. I either get distracted or and can't take stuff in and then that feels rude to the... And then, and then also sometimes certain sounds or like... Just, yeah, in certain contexts will just make me really uncomfortable. So I'm really bad for consuming podcasts. Uh, despite making two of them. Uh, sorry, bit of a useless answer there. You're probably looking for some good recs. What you got, Sean? You listen to pods. People's History, Citations Needed, is a good um, critical media and American critical media analysis podcast. I've been listening to Rabbit Hole recently. I think it's a New York Times thing, just looking at how one guy got radicalized by YouTube and how that follows like changes in the algorithm. Mm. That's pretty good. Uh, in terms of comedy podcasts, I recommend Whatever Happened to Pizza at McDonald's, which I really like. Tiredness Kills, obviously. Thank Hit you. up that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, and Into the Archives with Peter Fleming. I did listen to that. Ed Bevan also asks, in a perfect world where prisons, police, and the industrial military complex were abolished, that does sound really good. How would we go about punishing the murder of a worm who did nothing wrong? You wouldn't fucking punish the worm. Why would anyone... No one's going to understand this. Ed, thank you for forcing this niche reference to escape the North into Mandatory Redistribution Party. Because uh, we can never think of a good segue into promoting it. Please watch Escape the North on Twitch.tv on Fridays, except not the Cut Friday. Oh, actually, we're doing a Christmas show. Stream on But Christmas. don't start on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that would wreck your head. Watch <laughs> them back. Right. We're putting all the uh, we're putting all the other ones, previous ones, on YouTube. Catch up. Denzel Dean asks, "I work for the Avian Overlords at the RSPB, so I was glad that we narrowly escaped the cringe list." That implies that the RSPB. At the people who run the RSPB are birds, like bird lords. Oh, yeah, the avian overlords. Fuck. It would make sense. Well, they're not doing anything wrong. They're just trying to preserve their own species. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. They may be wow. overlords, but so far they seem to be magnanimous. Yeah. I, or at least just don't wow. want to be extinct. Yeah. I'm also co-chair of the Norwich branch of Acorn. I'd really like to start oh, well, forming more actions around collective joy as a form of further bonding the members of the union after a fragmented year. As performers and artists, can you give any advice on how to approach this? And furthermore, how do you think we, as a country, can use collective joy to stake a claim on our communities at large? Mando's always the high point in my week. Kropotkin's crab lives on. Ah, oh, thank you, Denzel. I've seen collective joy. Yeah, I've seen collective joy. Yeah, as comedians, I would hope we've seen some collective joy. 
well, I've seen collective joy formalized as not just shared experiences, but like people doing the same thing at the same time. So like yeah, yeah, dancing yeah. or even just a Mexican wave is collective joy. Halo 3. And so, yeah, people are all, yeah, having a big LAN. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Have a LAN party. I think the difficulty is, especially like because you're, you know, you're on the left and therefore are the goody two shoes. You're going to fall into like cringe HQ if you're trying to yeah. be like, here's an organized form of fun we should all have so that we all bond. Okay, thanks, boss. Put the clipboard down and let me have my own highly individualized, atomized fun in my own pocket of friends. Pre pandemic, I'll tell you who fucking smashed that Manchester momentum. They were so, so fucking good. A lot of the people who were organized at the top of that are no longer in the positions they were in, but. Um... For, for a good few years, they were amazing at making that kind of stuff happen. So you could kind of learn from what they did, I think. I think they even wrote some articles about it. I, I, they almost definitely did. Um, you know, everything from like club nights to like putting on plays that are about, uh, you know, Salford Dockers struggles. And I think it's particularly hard now, obviously, in the pandemic, because like how much fun can you have on a Zoom call, right? But uh, collective joy is a hugely important thing and obviously it's it's part of the same thing of like being kind to each other um and sort of living by i guess socialist principles of kindness and encouragement and joy and remembering that you're part of a, a community that feels feels good um, i know it's maybe even more cringe to be like now you put on a play but like if you can get people doing things and participating things in a collaborative community, mm. there's like a limit to like what you can get from watching a film next to someone else. Yeah. Um, there needs to be ways that people can have like shared forms of expression rather than just shared experiences. Um, but I think that project is maybe more ambitious, but that's why. Well, I'd and even that, sites. you know, sometimes people don't want to do that and they've had a hard day at work and they just want to consume something. So sure. But that's why you do more than one thing. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 a diversity of things, I think. I mean, just find out what find out what people like. Um, I mean, obviously, people in Acorn love fucking over landlords, so maybe it'd be a real good thing of collective joy to just get a landlord, put them up against a. <laughs> we'll see. It's been a shit year. What has made you hopeful in twenty twenty? Socialism won in Bolivia. Got back in. Fucked over yeah. the coup. Abortion legalized in Argentina. The very very quick blossoming of mutual aid organizations and retooling of existing organizations to offer mutual aid uh, in march well i was going to say that in invisible to what you can see if you go online or, or look anywhere really is that most people have just complied and they've done their best and they've made sacrifices to help other people people can be induced to still be kind and just do the things they're supposed to to not hurt the people around them like that has been the norm mm. and all those reactionary forces that seem so amplified are only there because because the news and to the same extent Twitter, they're not good for giving an overview of anything. Like the news <laughs> isn't good if you want to understand something from a historical perspective, mm. because they're all about exceptions. They mm. deal with what is significantly exceptional, and you know that reactionary forces can't be that exceptional because we're all going mad about them. We're all furious about it. Mm. Um, most people are still just have decently got on with a crisis, and that is hopeful i think i think it's you're saying that maybe the clapping was good maybe we can wreck on the clapping to be an expression an expression of uh national solidarity with key workers i'm just saying rather than like a a, a massive thing that's happened mm. i have worked hard to retain my faith in human beings at yeah. a time when i felt like everything wanted to erode erode all of that 
I think people have uh, had a tough year and they're mm. coming out the other side of it. You know, we're all still holding on and things could have mm. been a lot worse. Could they? I mean, like over 60,000 people are dead. There could have been a big fire. Oh, there was also one. In this there. country specifically. In this country specifically. In my house, there could have been a big fire here. Right, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, there was one of them that no one really gave a shit about. Well, uh, I just want to end the app on a... On a high note, nice. yeah. Um, let's find out if the people of Grenfell are housed yet. No, because they obviously won't be. What are you doing? <laughs> That's sabotage. Yeah, they're still fucked. Yeah, of course. How many years has that been now? I don't need to look that up. I'm willing to suppress my own feeling of hopelessness to give these guys a sort of a saccharine ending for Christmas. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Have a good Christmas, folks. Thank you very much for listening to Mandatory Redistribution Party. Thank you very much uh, for asking your questions. Thank you very much for those of you who support us on Patreon. Um, thank you very much for those of you who share episodes on social media. And I do all remember, uh, as I said earlier in the episode, that in 1916, Lenin thought he would never see revolution in his lifetime. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everybody. This all of us. Within a year, we're going to fucking... <laughs>